How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. It's Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio. Sal Capaccio. Sale Capaccio. Sale Capaccio. On WGR. Well, you heard it there. We've got Sale Capaccio live on Sports Talk Saturday. He's not hosting, but he's here to uh, to break down some of what he saw yesterday on the sideline. Sale, how are you doing this morning? All right. You know, uh, when you have a two-and-a-half-year-old, you get in at three in the morning from yeah. a trip. Then you get about maybe three hours sleep. So, <laughs> You know, we're if you're lucky, that, but it's okay. If you're lucky, I know I was here All late right. last night too, and uh, yeah, it was a uh, it was a tough wake up this morning for sure. But uh, I felt a little bit better after what I thought was an excellent decision by Rex Ryan to just to basically decide to sit most of his key players yesterday. What are your thoughts about the decision to sit most of uh, what we would consider to be the star players on this team? Well, I think most Bills fans would have preferred that anyway. I think, you know, obviously there's something to be said for, and the players will tell you, you know, getting some of those reps and, you know, getting out there and dress rehearsing, if you will, at least for a few series. But look around the league, man. I mean, you know, every week we see all these injuries with players in the preseason. Tony Romo, Julio Jones, right. Jarvis Landry. The list goes on. There's just been a lot of them in actual preseason games, not even counting guys in camp like a Reggie Ragland. So, uh, you know, most Bills fans I know I've heard from have said, just sit everybody down, don't even play them. And uh, I, I, I applaud Rex Ryan for kind of going against the grain in that regard because at the end of the day, it really is, you know, you see all these guys that got hurt last night, like a Chris Gregg, like a Jonathan Dowling, you know, guys that, you know, maybe Dowling doesn't make the team, but Chris Gregg would be a, a, a player on this team. Although I think, you know, you you don't want to see guys that are going to be starters and contributors, you know, have the same fate. And it's unfortunate it happened to anybody, but I, I think that he made the right decision. Sale. So what I want to do now is kind of go into your article. You posted the uh, arrow up, arrow down, your weekly article from especially over the course of the preseason and training camp here. And the first guy I really want to get into is Des Lewis. Um, I remember on the uh, during the broadcast yesterday on the sidelines, you'd mentioned really the body language of Des Lewis at following the drop that he had um, when he got in. And he, we really didn't see much of Des Lewis until late in that fourth quarter and other than special teams. Obviously, he's your first arrow down. What do you see now happening for Des Lewis? Does he does his fate last past Tuesday? Yeah, I think it, I think it, it goes past Tuesday. I don't know if it goes until the following Saturday, though, because then you're really talking about you know getting down to the 53. And I think right now, after last night, especially, he might have really been on the outside looking in after last night. Although Greg Little had a tough night too. You know, he he made a nice catch. Uh, on the would-be touchdown, but he did push off. But other than that, he had a, a drop, and uh, actually, I think they had two drops. Actually, if you think about it, because one was uh, one he should have held on a little bit early on, and maybe that helps Dez's case. Because here's the thing: Rex Ryan wants Dez Lewis to make the team. He wants a bigger target. He likes. He's unique for what they have. They do not have a big target that they can use in the red zone. They can play, you know, out in the perimeter. And I think he really wants to have that. But he's not just going to hand Dez Lewis a job. Dez Lewis has to take it himself and ever since the pads went on he's disappeared he's plateaued and now he seems like he's regressed and he's dropping passes he's not getting to balls and then last night after that drop yeah his body language was pretty poor in the sidelines as far as he didn't he just seemed like he was sulking and feeling sorry for himself and you know, it wasn't like he was talking to anybody he was 
kind of distant it looked like when I watched him. And then he did not even get into the game until the fourth quarter after that. Yeah, and I mean, I, from what Rex Ryan said in the... Late po- third quarter, I should say. I right, say right, right. He, I think it was late third quarter he got in. Yeah. But from what Rex Ryan said, I think that he wanted to give Des Lewis a shot with some of those second guys, and not really just all third teamers, to really kind of give him a shot against some of those de- those second team defenders. And it was a difficult decision, I think, probably for Rex Ryan, but I think it was a statement that he made to Des is, if you're going to be out there, you need to be making plays. And he said that before, the, uh, earlier in the uh, earlier in the week, kind of calling out Des Lewis, and, and you know, obviously no positions on this team are given to anybody, but I think Des Lewis had an opportunity that he let slip through his fingertips yesterday. Yeah, I, it's going to be interesting to see how this uh, wide receiver battle shakes out, but I think right now Walter Powell, he, he's done he's done more than anybody to kind of make this team who's actually earned it. You know, he's he's done everything that's been asked of him. I think Greg Little does find a spot in this team, and I think maybe those are the last two guys you keep at wide receiver, and Des Lewis, as of right now, is on the outside looking in, I think. On your arrow down, you also talked a lot about the coverage and tackling. Obviously, we could probably talk a lot about the, the lack of tackling yesterday. Just a lot of missed tackles, arm tackles. Uh, especially the one comes to mind is the Deshaun Jackson play where he basically breaks four or five tackles. If it weren't for him stepping out of bounds, he's probably gone. But what I want to get into, Sal, is the pass protection. At times yesterday, I thought Cyril Richardson had a really tough game. Uh, at certain times, it just seemed like... I don't want to say he wasn't trying, but I know that, and you've coached football sales, so you know that when a guy, especially an offensive lineman, makes a mistake or blows an assignment, I was always told, and, and coaches always harp it, to make it aggressively. If you're going to miss an assignment, go find somebody to go push out of bounds. Go find someone to go hit. And at times, I just saw Cyril Richardson miss an assignment and kind of look around like he was confused. I mean, I don't want to specifically point him out, but there was a lot of guys in those second and third units that I think struggled in pass protection yesterday. Yeah, I, you know, unfortunately, I haven't gone, and because of the game is so fresh and we were traveling, I haven't watched every guy in particular. You know, you were probably able to see that right. in the broadcast more than I was from the field, and I'll have to go back and look. But just overall, it, it, it goes beyond that, though. I think the first unit, Nate, was not good pass protecting for Tyrod Taylor. And, you know, he got drilled twice to start the game. Once, well, once he took a sack, and once he got drilled, I think at, uh, as he – uh, was throwing the ball, or either way, maybe he ran and got a couple yards, but you know what I mean. There were two plays right there where every Bills fan was basically like, oh my God, what is going on here? Get him out of here. Is he going to get up? And after the game, Rex said one of them was bad protection, and he said Coach Cromer said, I screwed up, you know, and uh, it was bad protection. And then the other one was a player just got cleanly beaten. They, they did not have a good night pass protecting last night, and then late in the game, I understand guys are pinning their ears back for Washington. It's a different deal. Once you get down, you have to score late in the game. But late in the game, you know, E.J. Manuel uh, took that sack, and a couple other times he had to run because things just broke down around him. Yeah, now I want to go to Arrow Up, Sale. And if uh, if you don't know what we're talking about here on WGR, you can head to WGR550.com. Sale posted an article, his Arrow Up, Arrow Down, from yesterday's game. Uh, one guy you mentioned is Walt Powell. Um, I, as you mentioned, I think he's probably locked himself at least into a 53-man roster spot, if, if only on the special teams. But another special teams guy that I think really stood out yesterday that you mentioned, Dan Carpenter, uh, someone that I think Bills fans were really frustrated with last year, pulling their hair out at times. And I know for me, it's almost every time they scored and you had to go watch him go out for an extra point you held your breath now this year he kind of looks like the Dan Carpenter of two years ago where he just seems like when he goes out there I mean the 252 yard field goals he made he made with with some yards to go I mean he would have been good for 55 56 on each of those what have you noticed in Dan Carpenter is it is it his mental state or is it his physical like what is with what's the difference this year with Dan Carpenter than maybe last year well, first of all, he's healthy in camp. He wasn't last year. He missed almost all of camp with a really bad hamstring injury. And 
when you when when you're a kicker, you need those mental reps, you need those physical reps, you need to just kind of do everything and keep getting in the swing. By the time he got to the end of camp, now he's got a, like a week to prepare for the regular season, and then suddenly things aren't exactly where you want it, and it gets very mental at a position like that, and your confidence gets shot. Look what's going on with Roberto Aguayo, right, in, in right. Tampa. He's awful right now, and it's right now it's mental for him. So I think he just never – I think two things happened last year. He had the injury – which caused him to miss time, which caused him to throw off all of his routine and timing and all that because he had to get ready quickly for the season, and then it mentally became a problem once he started missing kicks. That's not happening this year. He's there. Not only did they bring they, – they brought in competition, and they cut him early on because Dan was doing well, and now Dan's getting all the reps. He has time to get his body right. He had time to get his body right in the offseason, and I think he's mentally in a good place, and I agree that he's having – to me, he's had a – I mean, he's had a terrific camp, and last night – as I wrote, was an exclamation point to me to what was a great camp at Fisher. Sal, another guy you talk about here on the article, Dan Heron, Dan Boom Heron, an Ohio State product, had time with the team last year but didn't really get an opportunity to get a nice feeling in camp this year. He's getting this whole full training camp to really uh, you know, get acclimated with Greg Roman's offense. Do you think that at this point, I mean, I think we know that Jonathan Williams is a guy that's going to make this roster. Is there potentially a spot, whether it's on special teams, what I noticed yesterday and you have in the article as well, is he was really effective in the pass game and being a pass catcher out of the backfield. Do you think that there's a potentially a roster spot here available for Dan Heron? He made a push last night. I still don't think they're going to be able to keep him because I think they want to develop Jonathan Williams. Now, if it was just a situation where you got okay i mean i know coaches are going to say we're going to keep the best guys but sometimes financials matter you know where a guy is in his career matters if you're going to keep a guy in the back end of the roster to develop to have for a few years i think you're going to go with jonathan williams so unless jonathan williams injury is serious which it's it's sounding like that's not the case we don't know that's what ian rapaport reported this morning unless it's serious um i think dan heron still has a long way to go to make the roster i don't think he does but he made a good case for himself last night that he is actually the better option right now for this team if they want to do that and maybe they want to sneak jonathan williams through waivers and or the you know roster cuts and then onto the practice squad i would not doubt that because he did contribute in the passing game and that's been his game since he came in the league he's been a kind of a guy that can play in all facets he's a kick returner he's a running back he's a guy in the passing game and he was a good outlet last night for especially for ej Manuel. so i don't think so that i would not if i did a roster projection at this moment i would not have him on the roster but he gives me more pause to think about now than he did 24 hours ago say last guy here we want to talk about before i let you go chantrell henderson uh, obviously it's well noted uh, the issues he had last season with crohn's disease missing a good portion of the season and then coming back and really missing all of training camp, comes back last week, and it kind of just looked like he didn't miss a beat, especially conditioning-wise, which I thought is was going to be the biggest issue for him, especially in the hot temperatures down there in Washington. I mean, it was up to 87, 88 degrees at game time. Your thoughts on Chantrell Henderson and what he could potentially give this team moving forward this year? Well, I think you could give them much-needed depth at the tackle position because we know that Cyrus Quanjo is having a pretty nice camp at left tackle, but we're not sure what's going on at right tackle, and I think you really need someone there. And, you know, Quanjo has proven that he's not really as capable on the right side, at least. He's having a better year on the left side. So if something were to happen over there to Jordan Mills, you have options. And then maybe, just maybe, Chantrell could contend for that starting job. I don't think that's going to happen necessarily, at least not right away, but... I, I put him in my arrow up, not because he was great. That's not why. I put him in my arrow up simply because he was solid, and after what he's dealt with and the weight loss that he's had and how he's had to come back and what he's had to deal with, I think he deserves praise for last night and 
you know, especially just going out there and fighting through everything over the last, you know, what, eight months that he's had to do that ever, ever since they figured out what was wrong with him. And look, it has not been a treat for him at practice. I can tell you, I've watched him at practice. He's had to leave practice a couple of times because of, you know, he has a medical issue, but he, he returns, you know, he goes, he, he's got to do what he's got to do. And then he comes back. And then, you know, I, I think that's might be what they're dealing with here with a player who is kind of touch and go right now. But last night was all go. He did a good job. Guys tried to bull rush him, and because of his, his thinner frame, a couple guys tried to go to the outside, but I think he handled himself well. He wasn't perfect by any means, but I put him on this list because I commend Chantrell Henderson for what he had to go through to get to where he was last night. Sale, real quick, your outlook for next week. Who can we expect uh, to see next week? I would be pressed to think that Rex Ryan, after not playing the starters in week three, is going to put anyone of, of – really any stature on this team, including, you know, Tyrod Taylor, I don't think plays next week. I, I think Sammy Watkins got his live bullets. You know, what do you plan on seeing next week? Is it strictly evaluation? And uh, who are you going to be looking for uh, and which position battles are you going to be looking for for next week to kind of play themselves out? Well, I think, you know, the only two starters that really played this week on defense were that started and played were Adolphus Washington and Manny Lawson. I think you'll add them to the non-participants next week. I think they'll sit out with the rest of the starters and from there, you have the same group. By the way, I at one point, I, early on in the game, I said, oh, boy. Um, and by the way, Zach Brown also played. Zach Brown and, and Brandon Spikes. I would count Zach as the starter. He was the third one. But at one point, early on, I looked and I said, you know, that's not a bad group they have out there. Terrell Worthy, Corbin Bryant, um, Lorenzo Alexander, Brandon Spikes. That's not a bad group to go with. Your, Corey White and Kevon Seymour, right, with your second unit. Right. I think that they have some they have some players there that they can play with. So I think you're looking at a lot of that again. But, you know, I think um, there's a good battle, obviously, still going on for uh, the backup linebackers spot. You know, is Randall Johnson really the guy that is um, able to take that spot away? I think uh, Hawthorne played a, played a good game last night. He, he showed up. I don't know if he's going to necessarily take that spot, but that's something you look at. And now with this injury to Chris Gregg, I think tight end is a really super interesting spot going forward because – this opens the door for a guy like Nick O'Leary, who I think was squarely on the bubble, but might now might now be on the inside looking out. And I don't know if they like Blake Gannon as much as they may have a few weeks ago. He just he hasn't really done much the last two weeks, and it seems like O'Leary's being more involved in the passing game. How about Glenn Gronkowski? That's a guy I'm looking at. What's going to happen there? Look, I would not discount. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but one of the things to keep an eye on between now and a week from today when they have roster cuts, final cuts, that fullback spot, because Jerome Felton's making some good money, and he's older, and Rob Gron- or, sorry, Glenn Gronkowski is not. And I'm, I don't know if they would cut Jerome Felton um, or if they're going to, but I don't discount the possibility that they do that, or if, at least keep two fullbacks. So that's what we're looking for next week. I expect, I hope, Cardale Jones is available to play, because if he is, it's going to be basically EJ and then Cardale, and hopefully for all Bills fans, he is ready to go and they can do that. All right, Sal, thanks for coming on with me this morning. Go enjoy the rest of your Saturday afternoon with Max. I'm sure you guys will have something fun planned. So uh, thanks for coming on, and uh, like I said, enjoy the rest of your weekend. All right, thanks a lot. Sal Capaccio there, Bills beat reporter for WGR Sports Radio 550. If you missed his article, you can catch it again on WGR550.com. It's uh, the first article up, so you really uh, can't miss it unless you're uh, computer illiterate. So Sale really went through a lot of players there, and, uh, and it, like I mentioned, you can see all of which, and, and probably a little bit more inside of his article. So as I mentioned, head to WGR550.com. But let's head out to the phones where Sean has been waiting uh, patiently on hold here. Sean, uh, from Dallas, you're on WGR. Hey, Nate. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Great show. Thank you, sir. Hey, I'll tell you, just touching base on what Sal just talked about, really quick, uh, the Gronk thing. Uh, I've seen some video going on. 
uh, on Facebook and Twitter that he's missing blocks all over the place. I I, I highly find it that 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 he's going to make the team just from that factor. Um, the Nicolari thing, I would I'm thinking out loud here, but my thoughts were for a tight end. He's going to they're going to look on the waiver wire, see who got cut. Uh, we need to upgrade from that. Uh, but the main reason I called is. I really respect what Rex did about sitting out starters, if you really think about it, on both offense and defense. I mean, we have very – we have a lot of our returners from last year. And one of the few teams probably that we don't have to sit there and try to find out, you know, what we have. We have the team from last year. I, mean, I think that is excellent, sitting those guys out. Um, my last point, I think that E.J. Manuel uh, is looking awesome this uh, training camp, of course, he's a backup, and I'm going to give him backup credit. But I'll tell you, going into the season, seeing what he's done this training camp, I just think that we're we're in a good place. If something goes down, you know, once again for a backup quarterback, uh, I think he's in a good place for this team right now. And I think the system and the scheme fits him to uh, what he can show his strengths and whatnot. But anyways, Nate, I enjoy your uh, shows and I enjoy watching you on the. Facebook live stuff that you do on Bill Fanatic. I'm a big fan, so uh, keep it up, man. Have a good day. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate it, and uh, I appreciate you uh, following Bill's Fanatics. Uh, we're doing some fun stuff over there on Facebook, so I appreciate you uh, with the kind words there and following along. It's uh, it's going to be a fun season. I'm, I'm excited to go. Uh, you said a lot there, Sean, and I want to touch on some of it, and, and one thing I do want to touch on is the tight end situation, and Sale alluded to it a little bit about maybe you know Nick O'Leary being on the outside looking in or on the inside looking out, I, I'm sorry, and and I, I'm in the camp that as much as I liked what Nick O'Leary did in college, I don't know that he really has the abilities. Now, by default, he may be a guy on the 53-man roster bubble and a guy that could potentially make this team, but I think you bring up a great point, and I think you make up a great point on a number of positions on this team, is a lot of teams, what they'll do is after that first 75-man cut here, which is coming up on Tuesday, you're going to see some players that hit the open market that maybe you didn't see. Now, what you're really going to want to look for is a guy that hits the open market after the 53-man rosters next week uh, get shaved down, and and you have 53-man rosters there, where you have some young guys, you know, supplant some of these veterans on other teams that could potentially help this team as a tight end position. I look right in Washington. Washington's got a nice tight end situation going on. They've got Vernon Davis as their second guy, and Niles Paul, who I could see potentially as a roster bubble guy there. He seems to be a guy. You know, it's unfortunate. I, I'm a little upset that the Bills let go. Of uh, uh, now, now his name's I'm losing his name. Uh, oh, Marquise Gray, that's who it was. And I'm, I was for some reason I was thinking Fox, but Marquise Gray, uh, a guy that I was a little surprised the Bills parted ways with. He got that injury last year, but he just seems like to me a guy that fits the mold of a Greg Roman second H back tight end kind of guy. I was a little surprised to see him uh, to see him go in the offseason. But uh, John in Rochester, my man, how we doing, buddy? You're on WGR. Hey Nate, I'm doing doing great, doing great. You know, maybe uh, Nickel Leary will get some bonus points for being uh, Jack Nicholas's grandson. I was thinking that, but you know, I, if unless he has that special magic touch in majors, I don't know that he's going to uh, benefit much from being Jack's uh, Jack's grandson. But I I did I, I did think of that, John. Yeah, but anyway, I, I wasn't. I'll tell you, Nate. You you might have talked about it already. We got screwed by the refs. Yeah, uh, I know. Uh, t- two of the sacks they called roughing the passer. Uh, 
one of them definitely was not roughing the passer. The other one maybe marginal. And then, of course, that uh, offensive pass interference on the, uh, would have been a winning touchdown. That looked pretty dubious to me. I only saw the one one replay on it. It was a bad angle, but that didn't look like pass, offensive pass interference to me. But I was really impressed. I was really impressed with that second-string defense. They had Cousins uh, running for his life, you know, early part in that first quarter, and uh, that was very impressive. That shows you that Rex's system is working. I mean, these are the second-stringers, basically, and uh, this defense, I think, may dominate the NFL this year. Yeah, John, I appreciate the call, and you know what? I agree with you, especially on that, uh, the specifically the pass interference call on Greg Little in the end zone. You know, it's a tough play. It's a bang-bang play. A lot of guys don't get called for that, and you see it all the time. You're definitely, these guys push off to get that little extra little extra space to make the play, and that play, by the book, he has to fully extend his arms for it to be a penalty. Do what, did I necessarily see that as being a penalty? No. But again, it's the preseason, John, and yeah, we did start the show by talking off uh, a little bit about what the referees did in that game, but... I think it's something that you're going to have to kind of monitor as we move forward. I I am definitely a little worried, though, that there does seem to be an issue with the Bills and the referees. Now, what I know for a fact, now I've never played in the NFL, so I can't tell you if this is at the NFL level, but I've played at the high school and college level, and at both levels, if you're a team that's constantly chirping at the referees, looking for calls, complaining about every call, they're going to be less likely to give you the benefit of the doubt. And that's just the way it is. When you are making the, the, the job of a referee or a side judge more difficult by constantly complaining and con- the Chris Pauls of the NFL, like Chris Paul in the NBA is infamous for just laying into referees, complaining about every single call. Give Sidney me, Crosby I was in the NHL. Say, give me an NHL one, uh, Brayton. And, and you're right. And these guys, but Sidney Crosby still gets every call. Because he's Sidney Crosby. And Chris Paul still gets most of those calls because he's Chris Paul. He's one of the best point guards in the league. But referees will lose respect for you because you have to realize that the referees also have a job to do here. And their job is to clean up the game and make sure it runs smoothly. But yesterday, I felt that those referees really made that game about them. Eight penalties on each side. 16 penalties in the first half. No wonder the first half went two, almost two and a half hours yesterday. It was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So there are things that need to be cleaned up uh, on both our end, the Bills, and on the end of the refereeing as well. And I think it will. There's one more preseason uh, week to get the kinks out for the referees, and then we'll move forward uh, from there. So 803-0550, if you're on a hold, hold on. We'll get to your call when we come back from break here. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday. I'm Nate Geary, Brayton Wilson on WGR. What you're looking at is if you do get guys banged up in that third game, some starters are playing, they get banged up, they have that extra week of rest and downtime to get themselves prepared for week one. But Rex Ryan says, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not putting my guys in that situation. I'm not putting my corners. I'm not having one of those guys go down. I'm not putting Preston Brown up there to get hurt in a meaningless football game. And I think I gained a little more trust, I think, and respect for Rex Ryan for saying, no, we've had enough this preseason. We've had a terrible luck this preseason, and I'm not putting our team in more adverse situations moving forward. I need my team to be as healthy as possible come week one. Who is that guy? He sounded, sounded pretty good. That was me. I'm just kidding. Sports Talk Saturday. Welcome back in. We are uh, about midway through hour two here. 
Uh, we've got Matthew Fairburn coming up at 1 p.m. He's a New York Upstate Bills beat reporter, so we'll have him on. I told you we have a full day of, uh, of Bills breakdown beaters, as we like to call them, uh, across from uh, Chris Trapasso joined me earlier this morning, and obviously Sal Capaccio last segment. Do you so, know why I played that clip, though? Ice Ice Baby? No, not Ice Ice Baby. <laughs> no, uh, with what you said. Because there's something, right. there's something that you said in that where Rex and I, I get why you said it because you, you got to respect Rex for not playing the guys in week three of preseason, and likely they're not going to play week, next week against Detroit. But one thing that you said in there was, "I'm not risking my guys getting hurt week three of the preseason." Now, here's where I'm going to come up here with this argument: Why? Do we have to have the preseason still be four games? Why is it so long? Why do we have to risk these players getting injured as much as they have been getting injured in the past? We've had some guys tear their ACLs. First preseason game. I mean, Ikan and Polly is not exactly the greatest example, but there's other players how about, in the past. How about Jordy Nelson? Jordy Nelson, exactly. So why, with these, with the NFL wanting to keep all their players safe, why are we playing four preseason Revenue. games? Yeah, I get I get the whole revenue thing, but yeah. I mean, there's got to be something that yeah. we can do to either speed up these games or just speed up the preseason in general because for a half to take nearly 2 hours to finish yesterday. The first half nearly took 2 hours and it was one of the most dreadful putrid yeah. halves it was of tough. preseason football. There was the clock was stopping over and over. And you know what? And I, and I think you're right. I think that maybe what the competition committee needs to start looking at is potentially and now I mentioned something last night and I wasn't really serious. I just wanted the first half to kind of get going. But maybe like some sort of running clock. Now, what they do in the, in the in the preseason, and I believe they do in the regular season as well. If it's not under two minutes or run out of bounds, the clock does stop. But then up, upon the uh, the whistle of the referee and the uh, the you know the go signal uh, to the clock guy, the clock starts again. But my thought is maybe on incomplete passes, they just let the clock run. Um, yet especially in preseason, when you're going to have guys that, especially in the second half, you're going to have guys and quarterbacks and receivers that haven't done a lot of playing together and doesn't don't have that chemistry down so maybe instead of stopping the clock on every incompletion you know inside I would say what five minutes maybe you just let the clock run we're gonna something and and I understand that for the guys that are roster players bubble players you want to give them the, the fair opportunity they deserve to make an impression on the coaching staff and the people that are going to be making decisions on roster cuts but at the same time, I think you're right. I think what we need to look at as an organ, as an organ, I mean, as a league and as fans as well is, if you're going to continue playing four preseason games, we need to do something to either speed up the time during those games because yesterday was dreadful. It was tough to watch, and you don't I know, want to make it Pro Bowl level tough to watch. No, you want to, no. You want to at least give your players a chance, but. You know, the time, like not taking time off the clock or not stopping time for incomplete passes or guys going out of bounds. The thing is, is that these guys are still going to get quality reps. Even though the clock is still going, they could still get back to the line. You could practice a no-huddle offense, really, if you want. That's a good example of yeah. ways to, to benefit from this. You could practice a two-minute offense. You could be, uh, practice you know, some other key situations with the clock continue to going. And, and what I don't want to see is something like a soccer situation because the soccer and clock is in soccer. They are always going. And then when they hit the 45-minute mark and the 90-minute mark, they'll have that extra time. You don't need that for football. Right. Just, you know... Let's say let's say that I don't know we're we're third preseason game of the year and 
let's say that they cut out the the fourth one. Let's say that they shorten it, make it three. You know, you get your first game where you know it was sort of like what it was with the Bills against the Colts. Then the second game, Bills against the Giants, where the starters get some more time. And then like week three, like yesterday, the Bills don't play a lot of their starters. They sit a lot of them. And then at, after the first half, like just. Keep the clock running. Just keep it going. Always keep it going. Only stop it if there's a scoring play or something like that, a field goal, touchdown, whatever the case may be. After that, it just keeps going. You don't stop. You just let the guys play. It, the pace will still be the same, in my opinion. I mean, there's going to be penalties, of course, and maybe you stop the clock for penalties, but, I mean, there's no necessary need. I mean, and again, with the with the argument here is that we don't want these players getting injured. We don't want you know, anything to happen to our key players or any players for that matter. So why are we playing the three, four preseason games? Or if you want to keep all four, why are we playing them and then having them drag out and everything like that? Because it's just, it's It's infuriating for stuff like It's basically leaving more opportunity for injuries. And, you know, and you're right, Brayden. And and there's something that, there is something to be said about all of the time these players, and something else I hate in the preseason and in training camp as well as some of these like mixed practices, having another team come in like last year, the Browns came in. The intensity is just naturally going to be picked up when you're hitting another, uh, you know, hitting players from another team and opposing Jersey. And I mean, yes, last year you leave with LaShawn McCoy pulling up lane with a hamstring injury. And that basically sets the tone for him for the rest of the season. He's never really able to be a hundred percent coming back, but let's head out back out to the phones where we got Greg in Rochester on you're on WGR. Greg, how are you this morning? You know, uh, talking about the wide receivers, I think the defense is actually going to be good, but I'm nervous about the wide receivers. We have, uh, you know, our top three, I'd say Goodwin, Wood, and Watkins, you know, and all three of them have injury-prone, you know, yeah. situations going on. If I had to bet, you know, I hope they're all healthy, but if I had to bet, I would bet two out of three are banged up at some point during the season. And, uh, you know, as far as depth behind them, Greg Little can't catch, can't trust him in a big spot. They should cut him. I know he's big. I know he shows promise, but he constantly drops the ball. And those are guys that, you know, he's going to do that in the regular season for two or three games, and you're going to be wondering why he's on the team. And then, uh, and Powell, I, I, you know, I think he's in an offseason, uh, preseason story. I don't, I don't have faith he's going to be a contributor come game day. And so, I, you know, looking at that, um, you know, you look at Josh Gordon, and he's up for trade, and the guy is a premier talent. I don't know what it would take. I mean, I, originally I was thinking, you know, a couple late rounders, maybe, you know, that would, maybe a third. I would go second round for him. I want to go to the playoffs, and if you insert him into this offense, you have a top five wide receiver on both sides of the field, and, and his forte is what Tyrod is good at, which is throwing deep. I mean, buy some time and throw it up and let him get it. Right, and the Browns did ask for a second rounder for Josh Gordon. That's the original you know, asking, asking price, price. Yeah. but now apparently they've, they've said that they've pulled that off the table, and they, I mean, they want they want a pretty high price. No, yeah. Greg, and, and I understand what you're saying, too, because I watched yesterday, too, Greg Little, even on some of his catches, he, it's almost like he's fighting the ball. Um, he's fighting, and he just doesn't look comfortable when, when the ball gets into his hands, and that's really been the story over the course of his career um but and a guy like Anquan Bolden I know a lot of people a lot of fans and a lot of the media were talking about them as a uh, Anquan Bolden as a potential target for the Bills in the offseason obviously goes to Detroit but I mean at this point do I see them going out and potentially trading for a top flight right wide receiver like Josh Gordon no um but I think that there is a possibility for maybe a guy who doesn't make a roster somewhere else a veteran that doesn't stick on the team that's got a young guy that kind of comes through the ranks but I mean, to you, other than Josh Gordon, I mean, what other what other options to you do you think there are out there other than, you know, maybe a roster guy that gets cut now? I mean, there's really no receivers left out in the market. 
there's not a lot of places to go at this point. That's right. You're gonna you're gonna sit with what's on what's on your roster, and what I'm saying is I don't think that's enough. And I. I might be wrong, but you know, if you got Josh Gordon, he lights it up. You could let Gilmore walk because I think we have more depth at the cornerback position and and uh, franchise Gordon and get two years out of him. If I'm not mistaken, for that price, I know the franchise for wide receiver is going to be high, but you know, if he's the superstar that I believe he would be in this offense, um, it it would be worth it. I, we need to go to the playoffs, and he is a difference maker that can put you over the hump. You're right. There's no free agent guy left that's going to be a difference like Josh Gordon would be. And if it's a second round pick, maybe a second and a late rounder a following year. Get it done, Bill. The fan base will not be mad about that decision. They will get behind that pick. All right, Greg, thanks so much for your call. I appreciate it. Yeah, and my only issue is we're, we're now seeing the ramifications of having a guy under contract who can't stay away from the pots in, in Marcel Darius. And, you know, now he's costing his team four games this year. He's checked into rehab. And I am a little hesitant in going after a guy who's spent basically the last two seasons on the shelf because he can't stop smoking weed. Um, so it definitely it, it concerns me, but there's no denying the talent that Josh Gordon possesses. I, I think it's just a matter of availability and whether or not he can be on the field when his team needs him. And, and at this point in his career, it's just not something I've seen from him. Is he available option? Maybe. He, he could potentially be a trade guy that this team looks at. I don't see the Bills really giving up a second-round pick for Josh Gordon. I, potentially, if that's all it took, maybe. But as Brayton alluded to, the asking price, I think, at this point is a little bit more than a second-round pick. And if you're telling me you're willing to trade a second-round pick and, I don't know, name a roster player that you'd be willing to give up, I don't know that I have anyone that I'm really willing to give up on this roster. We're we're light enough as it is. The Browns are a team that's going to look for a young player that could potentially help them. And I don't have any young players I'm really looking to give up at, at this point. So I think it's a it's a it's a stretch at best. If maybe you could give up two future like a next year's second and a, and a future second round pick and a conditional pick, you know maybe I would talk about it. But I agree. I mean I think Josh Gordon is a heck of a wide receiver, and of course I think he would be a heck of an addition to this team. But we're gonna talk realistically here, and I just don't see a, a, a scenario playing out that's comfortable for the Bills and Doug Whaley. Doug Whaley is aggressive. Um, he's shown that by trading Kiko Alonso for. Um, for LaShawn McCoy uh, two years ago, and he's shown it by going out and getting a guy like Tyrod Taylor in free agency. But at this point, I think if you're uncomfortable with the wide receiver position beyond you know, Robert Woods and Sammy Watkins and potentially even uh, Marquise Goodwin, I think your best, your best chance to get a player that could contribute is going to be after the rosters get cut down to 53 men. And, and what you see across the league is good teams have young players that upseed current veteran players on the roster. You know, I mean, the, the Patriots are infamous for this, for having guys like, and I always allude to this point, is, you know, the Lawyer Malloy point, and, and that Lawyer Malloy was still considered to be the top player at his position in the league, and Bill Belichick said, bye-bye, see you later, we got young guys to take your position. He's got no commitment to guys, uh, especially veteran players, and, and it's interesting to see what the league, what will happen, and who may become available in the coming weeks here as rosters get continue to get cut down. Let's, uh, let's now head out to the phones. Let's go to Mark in New Jersey. Mark, you're on WGR. Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. NFL, they're, they, they're in love with the uh, putting out the illusion of, of being concerned with safety. They don't really care about these players' safety. Having them play four games, if you play in the Hall of Fame game, you play five. That's another quarter of the season. And colleges don't even do it. They play a lot. They play less games. If you're a top-ten team or a team that's vying for the, the college playoffs, you lose one game. You might not even make it in. So the games are more valuable there. They have more players to play with. And if you want to get more reps for players how come the league that makes the second most revenue in the world next to the, the the soccer leagues in europe doesn't have a developmental league yeah the only league 
in the world that doesn't de- help develop its own talent. You want to see these guys get more reps and all this, you know, all these, you know, re- repetitive messages. Have a developmental league. It it it, it just be- they behoove themselves at every turn. And it's a game of repeat acceleration. These guys are in shape year-round. That's what training camp was supposed to be for back in the day, getting in shape. These guys are in shape. Look at their Instagrams. Look at their look at their the timelines on their Twitter. And then they get on the field. They're working out all the time on these different surfaces. Then they put the pads on. They put their foot in the ground. There goes the Achilles. There yeah. goes the ACL. Yeah, I – uh, and I like all your points, Mark. And what I want to touch on, and thanks for thanks for giving us a call today on WGR. I, I agree with you, and 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 you, the point you make about the developmental league is an issue that I think the NFL has tried to address, but they can't figure out a formula to make money off of it. And ultimately, at the end of the day, the NFL is a business, and I agree with you. They're the, they're the highest grossing league in all of major pro sports, but if they can't find a way to basically gain revenue on a developmental league. It's just not in their best interest to do it. Now, I agree. Could you potentially cut down on preseason games if you have a league where you have guys playing 7 to 10 to maybe even 13 or 14 games? I think you probably can, and, and you then you basically do what the NHL does, is you have each team with a developmental league that you're able to call up players who are sitting there playing and developing each week if you have an injury. or And then you're not just going after street free agents or pulling guys up off your practice squad. You know, I think it's definitely something that the league has tried to do. I mean, that's what they tried to do with NFL Europe, which just kind of flamed out over there because it wasn't popular enough. And then you have leagues like the the AFL, which just isn't realistic because it's arena football. It's a different game. It's a different strategy. And then you have leagues like the, what was it, the USFL, the UFL. I mean, these leagues haven't stuck around because there's no profit, there's and no revenue to the Canadian to Football yes. League is not even... But I mean, maybe turn that into it then. Maybe use right. the Canadian League to then turn that into a more of a developmental league. You can look at a guy like Naaman Roosevelt, who's a UB grad, played for the Bills, has done some decent things in the NFL. He's over in Canada tearing it up right now. He's one of the leading receivers in the league you know, how come guys like that aren't getting a fair shot in the NFL? These guys, what they need to do is, and I, I, I completely agree with Mark, is there needs to be a developmental plan in order here, and there just isn't at this point. And until there is, I think that you're going to continue that's seeing what, this preseason issue. Yeah, and that's what NFL Europe was for way right. back in the day. Fred Jackson was yes. one of those guys that and he was developed just fine. There. He developed just fine. I, I mean... We talked about this before, too, Brayton, is the developmental league in almost every other league. It's not The AHL is not about revenue. No, absolutely not. It's all it's about, about development. development. So why does the NFL need a league that's developing their players to ultimately... Now, here's my thought about this. If you have a developmental league that is producing players and giving them an opportunity to compete against other players who are in that developmental state... Aren't you creating more revenue by creating better players to develop in the system that you want them to learn? Like, if you have more players that are are higher quality players in this league that develop, that never get a chance to, think about the guys that in this league that are drafted high, that never, that are thrown into the fire too soon and and flame out after three years and never get another opportunity again. A a guy like Troy Smith comes to mind. A guy like, I mean, Maurice Claret, I guess, but I mean, he kind of flamed out himself by being in legal trouble, but... Guys like that that flame out in the first couple years of their career just based off the fact that they weren't ready to play, this is an opportunity to create that atmosphere for them to develop and then become good players. Like a Tyrod Taylor was able to sit and learn behind Joe Flacco, and if you can give other players that opportunity in a developmental league, you are going to gain more revenue because you have more good players on the field. 
I don't know. There, it is something that the league needs to explore further. And uh, and Mark, I'd appreciate the call. It was a good content call there. Uh, up next, we will uh, continue taking your calls here on WGR. Steve, we will get with you uh, when we come back from break here. Then at 1 p.m., we've got Matthew Fairburn of New York Upstate coming on. We'll uh, get his thoughts on maybe a developmental league and what what uh, what the league could potentially do to reduce some of these preseason games, which are ultimately leading to more injuries. So 803. 0550-888-550-2550 if you'd like to get your thoughts in. You're listening to Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR. When I first came, you know, obviously I want to be a starter on special teams, uh, lead there along with Colt, and then have packages. You know, maybe I pay 15 to 20 plays and rotate in the opposite of Jerry throughout the game and help that linebacker court, uh, create some pass rushes some plays and give us some more depth there. So um, I'm definitely looking towards that. And obviously throughout a season, your role can change based on injuries, guys suspended, or whatever the situation may be. So I always have to be ready to play anywhere, whether it's outside, inside. And, you know, that's kind of been my, my niche throughout my whole uh, career in the NFL. Bills linebacker Lorenzo Alexander there after a uh, pretty good performance from him in week three of the preseason yesterday. But let's head right out back to the phones here where we've got uh, Steve in Syracuse. You're on WGR. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, you know, last night, I agree with what you guys are saying about the preseason. Last night was awful. The officiating was awful. It, I mean, I was a little surprised Rex didn't play everybody longer, but I do agree. couple questions. First thing, I'll, I'll ask the questions and hang up. Uh, first question was Shaq Lawson. I know there's been a lot of speculation that he's not expected back till November, but no one's ever come out and said that. And his four-month timetable was over in September. Qu- question two, I wanted to see what your evaluation of Sean Traw was last night. Looks like he played well, but you guys are more of an expert than me. And last question, as far as, you know, maybe adding some guys, some areas I think were weak, tight end wide receiver and offensive line especially didn't know where you thought we might add and who we might add. Thanks for taking my call, guys. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Uh, a couple things. Uh, as far as uh, – I'll, I'll address your last thing first is, is maybe adding someone at tight end or receiver. Uh, after, uh, I believe it was Mark in New Jersey, called and talked about Josh Gordon as being a potential target for this team. And, and now I'm looking, and there is an article on uh, Pro Football Talk, NBCSports.com, that says basically the Browns are willing at this point to part with with Josh Gordon for a second-round pick. And I look at that, and I look at yesterday, the preseason performance from Josh Gordon. I mean, he looks like he hasn't missed a beat. I mean, we're talking about potentially one of the top five receivers in the game when he's available and when he's playing. I think I would – I think if you call the Browns and they're willing to give up Josh Gordon for a second-round pick, I think I'd pull the trigger immediately. It would, it would definitely – I would have to think about it. Uh, I'd have to sleep on that decision for sure. But uh, I understand know, it's, it's enticing. It really it is. is enticing because he's a good wide receiver. And the last time that he was suspended for violating he was, the performance, he was he was he was caught for alcohol, not weed. Right, it was alcohol. And and he had a no no tolerance policy. He took literally a couple of sips of 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 alcohol on a plane ride from one of the games, and the, just he was in that zero tolerance policy and got suspended for the rest of the season. I yeah, that's a good point. Right. Right. It's not like he was still smoking pot at the time. He didn't test positive for marijuana. So, yeah, no, and, and I think that the Bills organization right now is kind of the organization. Now, obviously, we have Marcel Darius, who's on a four-game suspension um, for for the uh, substance abuse policy for the league. But, you know, he's still a guy, I think, Josh Gordon, that has a lot to prove. And I think if he can turn himself around, just like we are, we're going to hope that Marcel Darius does, a second-round pick to me, for a guy of Josh Gordon's talent and caliber of player, man, just do me this. 
Think about the prospects of having Josh Gordon and Sammy Watkins on the opposite sides of the field with, with Robert Woods in the slot. Hmm. That would sound really good. Hmm. That would sound really, really good. Let's head back out to the phones here before we go to break. We've got Matthew Fairburn from New York Upstate coming up next. Mike from Albany, you're on WGR. Uh, Hey, gentlemen, you both and uh, Mark from New Jersey made a great comment about the NFL having a developmental league. What I was telling uh, the screener earlier was that the league already sees its free developmental league as college. And uh, from NFL Europe and its predecessor, World League of American Football, it was just too cost prohibitive for the league. Mm -hmm. Developmental league isn't ingrained in football like it is in baseball and hockey and basketball. The NBA can do the D-League on the cheap. So... I think the NFL sees the NCAA as its developmental league, and I don't really see where that's going to change, despite the fact uh, that you two and Mark had really good idea about it. Thanks, gentlemen. Yeah, thanks, Mike. And you know what? I, I tend to agree with you that the NFL views, the, that views basically college football as their developmental league, but here's my issue with it. How many picks are in an NFL draft? I mean, 32 teams times seven rounds. I'm going to tell you that. I don't know what that is. But it's not that many players. And if you think about it from a year-to-year basis, how many NCAA football teams you have? You're talking about a, basically a platform for a lot of young players to get time, but think about how many of those guys are playing at the next level. Not many. You know, there is maybe, I would say out of all the Division One, Division One a college football teams, 5% of them play professional football, and maybe 1% or 2% of them end up making a team and really being a significant role player for a team. And really, rounds one, two, and sometimes three are really full of players that are going to make teams. The rest are just bubble players that may bounce around the league from time to time but never really make an impact. There's only so many Tyrod Taylors and Tom Brady's. And it's not only just the quarterbacks, it's with other positions. Right, no, but you know what I mean. Those those are good examples. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah, and we're seeing it in some of the key position players that we have right now. Keevon Seymour is one of those guys that has looked phenomenal this preseason, and I know that he got banged up yesterday, but I... Jonathan Williams? Yes, like Jonathan Williams Preston Brown. It's it's unfortunate, but, you know, these guys, you, you find them every once in a while, especially a guy like Preston Brown. He was, you know, he was a later round pick, but he's turned out to be pretty darn good for the Bills, and um, you know, I I keep thinking about uh the last caller, Steve from Syracuse, with uh with a couple of questions, and I I know I'm yes we didn't up. we, we didn't also did talk about Chantrell Henderson. Yeah. What I want to say about Chantrell Henderson is that I think he looked good for what he was capable of doing. Mm-hmm. You could definitely tell that he's you know maybe not conditioned enough right now to really make a factor. But I mean, if he's ready for week one then okay, that's fine. But, I mean, yesterday he looked like he was – it's good to see him back, that's for sure, but he was uh, he was shaky a couple of times. But uh, if he plays next week against Detroit, and I think that would be just enough for him to be ready to go for week one. All right, 803-0550, One more hour of Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR. Matthew Fairburn from New York Upstate up next. We'll get his opinions on everything we've been talking about all day. He's been at camp Every single day. So Matthew will have some good opinions on what he sees the final roster playing out like. You're uh, you're listening to the Two Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet? 
during peak hours. Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 